Welcome back to the Do You Like Apples podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Drew Went, and my co-host, Billy Rock, and I are still in spooky season. We are in part two of our two-part kind of horror miniseries. Last week on the podcast, we talked about the top three scariest movies we have ever seen. And this week on the podcast, we're doing a horror movie swap uh, where we both picked a movie for each other that the other person had never seen and chatted about it. So before we get into that, uh, we do a little... Uh, couple mini reviews of new releases out um, on streaming right now um, fair play on netflix and totally killer on amazon prime so uh, check out those uh reviews no spoilers on those so you can you know you can decide if you want to see them or not and then uh yeah then we get into our horror movie swap uh uh, uh billy chose audition a, a 1999 japanese horror movie very upsetting <laughs> movie for me and i chose sinister uh, a more recent um, Blumhouse um, horror movie um, starring Ethan Hawke from 2012. Extremely scary movie uh, for Billy. So w- we had a non-spoiler section uh, first on each of the movies and then the end of the podcast we got into spoilers for both of these movies uh, in the last, uh, I, I want to say, 15 to 20 minutes. So uh, you know, if you want to listen up to the spoilers, if you haven't seen them, that's great. Um, uh, if you want to come back after you've seen them to, to finish the spoiler discussion, awesome. But um, these movies have extremely dark subject matter, so if that's not your bag, totally understand. We'll see you next week on the podcast, but uh, let's get into it. Welcome to the Do You Like Apples podcast. Do you like apples? Do you like apples? But I watched The Exorcist the other day to make it a palate cleanse for The Exorcist, Exorcist Believer. Um, Good. Bring, yeah, uh, bringing out the necessary. dead. Kind of had some horror elements to it that I thought was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's a little, that's a little bit frightening at points. Yeah, and just yeah, you don't, you don't see Marty necessarily go to those places very often. But um, but yeah, I would say the two like most stereotypical horror movies that are right on the line were. Maybe this this wasn't this time of year was Bo is afraid earlier this year much earlier this year mm. and then uh bringing out the dead so um yeah i just haven't been spooked very much uh, i'm excited we're forcing our hands a little bit by creating podcasts to uh enter self back into that um to that season because i think that's part of the reason we do this podcast is to keep us engaged right in, in our own lives so um I, I hope to ramp it up after uh this wedding i have this weekend and uh can fully embrace uh whether it's oscar season a little bit later or horror movies the rest of the way until until halloween yeah you've been focused on being the best best man that you can be and not you're not necessarily yeah. focused on spooky season yet but not yet but maybe maybe next week mm-hmm. for sure yeah, I've I feel like I've actually the only two horror movies I've seen so far this month I'm gonna discuss on this year podcast. So I've also been slacking a little bit uh, on that sense, but I've never I've never been a big Halloween guy. Um, I think I think like recently, like in the lat like since I be got really into movies, I feel like I've used October as like my time to because I don't watch a ton of horror throughout the year. I think you probably watch more than I do. Like. So I kind of use October as like my opportunity to like get a little deeper into the horror genre, watch some things that I've maybe have been interested in, maybe some things that will get me out of my comfort zone and kind of use spooky season as, as like a, a way to get into a, a genre that I don't always uh, dwell in. So um, I think this today will be an interesting discussion as I watched a, a movie that I'd never seen before for this discussion that was uh, pretty upsetting. And, uh, but you know, I think, I think, I think we have two interesting movies to talk about uh, that are extremely uh, depraved. Very depraved and very, uh, yeah. And coming from very different angles, uh, one bit pretty conventional and one uh, I'm not quite sure how to describe, but we will, yeah, I just I, I watched the movie that uh, that we exchanged um, about three hours before we got on this podcast. So the first like twenty minutes were in daylight, and uh, it, it got dark really quick. 
Yeah. Like literally and uh both literal in both senses in the movie and outside my house. So Yeah, um, right. Well that could have been the best uh scenario for you to watch it in then. Uh, it's, if it's <laughs> matching the movie. Yeah, exactly. So it, it did set the tone a little bit of the the how the movie starts and what it gets into, but we'll stop being vague here shortly, yeah. I'm sure. About we, what we watched. We've done a good, a good enough job teasing uh, what we're going to talk about today. So let's just let's get in let's get into the the discussion. Uh, well, I guess we'll introduce the podcast. Uh, this is the Do you Like Apples podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts, Drew Went. Uh, here with me today is my co-host Billy Rock. And uh, today we're doing a horror movie swap. So uh, basically, it's pretty simple. It's basically what it sounds like. It is where I I picked a movie for Billy, and Billy picked a movie for me that we ne- that each of us had never seen before. Um, so I've seen Billy's movie that, that I picked for him and, and, uh, he's seen the movie that, that he picked for me. So kind of an interesting way for us to kind of, uh, dive into two, a little bit deeper into two horror movies that, uh, one person is new to and the other person is familiar with. But before we get to that, um, we're going to do just a quick, uh, kind of new movie roundup. So, uh, a review, a couple reviews for, for new movies. Got to, got to think of a better title for this segment, Billy, but mm-hmm. right now I'm just calling it new movie roundup, which is pretty, pretty lame. Um, <laughs> uh, the first one is, uh, called fair play. And this is on, this is a Netflix movie that came out. Um, I think last or week and a half ago, maybe, uh, I think it was October 6th that came out on Netflix. And, uh, so you can watch it right now on, uh, on, uh, the, on that platform. And this is basically a psychological thriller set in the world of finance. So it stars, um, Phoebe Dynever from, um, Bridgerton. I'm not a Bridgerton watcher myself, but I know she's, that show's extremely popular and she's one of the stars. And then, uh, the male star is Alden Ehrenreich, who is, uh, most famously what played young Han Solo. Uh, but he's been in some other things as well. Um, so two young, two young kind of, you know, budding, uh, movie and TV stars in this, the, the premise is basically that they both work at the same hedge fund in Manhattan and, um, her, uh, her character's name is Emily. She, uh, and his character's name is Luke. They basically there's, there's one of them is going to get promoted and, and Luke thinks it's going to be him and Emily thinks it's going to be him. And they're both kind of, kind of like try to make their way up in this hedge fund. Well, Turns out she's the one promoted, which completely flips everything on its head and uh, kind of goes against um, expectations of what might usually happen in a movie like this. And it kind of turns into kind of a re- it's a relationship drama at first, and then it kind of the tension wrap ratchets up and it becomes a lot more of like a like a real thriller um, where some crazy stuff goes down, um, some kind of some twists and some turns. Um, and yeah, I think. This is, uh, I really like the setup of this movie. And I think the two main performances are really good. And I, you know, two performers that I haven't seen in a ton of stuff, but I thought they were both terrific. Um, Fair Play is, I think, a little bit reminiscent, I think in a good way of some of those like overheated 80s and 90s thrillers, like Fatal Attraction, Sleeping with the Enemy. Um, You know, some of these kind of like almost implausible thrillers uh from like a few decades ago the kind of movie that they don't really make anymore um but it's it's still a this is still a pretty smart movie like it's it's got some things to say i'm not sure it totally stuck the landing this is not a spoiler review so you don't have to worry about that but um but i think in the end it's worth watching discussion and discussing for sure because it's got some interesting things on its mind um and it's also entertaining while still being kind of anxiety provoking i wouldn't call it a fun movie but it's definitely could make you anxious so um bill are you are you interested in this movie at all would you think you'll catch up with this one i think i will um this seems to be based on how you described it a little bit less um erotic thriller than maybe the poster yeah um Hints it to be just by the way the poster looks. I was thinking of uh, what's the movie that came out this year of uh, Sanctuary with Christopher oh. Abbott and Margaret Qualley that I haven't seen either. But uh, both movies were ones at the beginning of the year that I was really interested in uh, checking out. And uh, just the smaller two younger actors uh, kind of showing what they can do in a really 
throwback setting seems really interesting. So yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to check out Fair Play once I once I have a chance to, and hopefully in the next next few weeks. Yeah, and the writer director Chloe Dumont is uh, it's her first film. You know, she's done some TV and stuff, but uh, she's she's definitely got got some natural. Um, like she, she clearly knows how to make a good thriller and this seems like, like she did it in the world of finance, which is interesting. Um, I think she's directed on like ballers and uh, maybe billions. Um, I, I, so I think she's got some, some, uh, some chops for sure. Um, the second movie I'm going to hit just with a quick non-spoiler review is called totally killer. Uh, this is more in line with spooky season, it's really more of a horror comedy. Um, it's not not this. Definitely not going to be the scariest movie I've ever seen. But this is um, kind of a slasher um, that's very very obvious in its influences and its references. Um, it's basically a story that follows a, a young girl played by uh, Kiernan Shipka from uh, she was Don Draper's daughter on Mad Men. If if any of you guys watch Mad Men, um, Sally Draper. And she is basically her mother's friends in the eighties were killed by this slasher named the sweet 16 killer on Halloween. He killed three of her friends or her mother's friends. So eventually the young girl ends up traveling back in time. It's, they don't spend too much time explaining how, how, you know, the mechanics of this time travel here, but she travels back in time to 1987 where she's pairing up with her own mother or who, who will be her mother. Um, who was in, in high school back then to try to stop these these killings before they happen. Um, basically, like I said, it's very obvious and like it's basically it's Scream meets Back to the Future, um, if that makes any sense. And it's the the movie basically says says that outright. It's very explicit. It's just like <laughs> they actually name drop like Back to the Future and Scream in separate um, moments. So it. I would say it's a little, I think it's a little too self-aware, but I actually had a pretty good time. Um, and it's funny, but it's like, it's not like a few times that maybe it tries a little too hard to be funny. Like there's a lot of jokes about like how problematic life was in the eighties versus from, you know, viewing it from 2023 eyes, which those get a little stale after a little bit, you know, the first couple are funny, but then they get kind of stale, but it, it is, it is a pretty fun time. And if you like that kind of like, horror comedy mixed with slasher. I, I can't see how you're going to have a bad time because it's, it's not going to be the most original thing, but it's definitely, I think worth a, a viewing if, if that's the kind of movie you're into and, and the lead Karen and Shipka is, you know, I haven't really seen her in a lot besides Mad Men and uh, she's, she's pretty good. She's like a very capable, you know, horror movie lead. Um, this one's on Amazon prime, by the way, uh, I believe it's a prime original, um, and yeah, this is uh, Billy. I think you'd I think you'd have a good time with this one. Um, it's not you know it's not one that you're going to put on to scare yourself straight, but it's definitely you know it's definitely worth watching. I think. Yeah, no, this one I've uh, I remember hearing about a few years ago, if not a couple, maybe a little bit less than a few. But um, one of the writers on it, her name is Sasha Pearl Raber, and uh, when I first got into movies in college, uh, one of my outlets was watching live or recorded YouTube uh, kind of long form YouTube podcast before uh, really before even audio podcasts for movies were, were huge. Um, and one of them was Collider movie talk and the, the schmoes knows the schmoes no show. And uh, she was a guest host on uh, a lot of those podcasts that I watched and uh, hmm. I think she was a critic in her own right. Um, so I still follow her on all the social media stuff. And yeah, I remember as I got, a, I heard about a little bit a year ago that she was writing something like this and then, as it got closer, she was obviously promoting it on our, her social media. So it, based on just quick glances at uh, on Letterboxd and uh, what I've seen on Twitter, yeah, just like you said, seems really fun and um, kind of a, a, a maybe a mindless horror movie that uh, mixes comedy with. Um, is it is it super bloody? It, it kind of hints at that a little bit. That uh, there it, there are, yeah there are a couple moments yeah, mm-hmm. which yeah I think for whatever reason, blood and gore with a county, if done right, can be a, a really interesting mm-hmm. pairing and just a, a really fun time in the movies. Um, but I was looking at um, the, what the uh, lead, what was her name again? Um, Kieran Shipka is yeah. potentially coming, uh, what, what she might be showing up in. And uh, 
she's pretty low on the billing, but she might be in the sequel Twisters, and uh, which is a sequel to oh. the original Twister, which is uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who did Minari. Um, this so, is a project you've been eyeing closely, I think. I you have. Love, you love Twister. I do love Twister, and um, I, I think it's pretty much impossible to create an ensemble that will uh, exceed the original Twister. Um, just so many huge names wait, in that movie. That, but who is in the sequel? It's a pretty good cast, right? Yeah, yeah. So the two leads seem to be Daisy Edgar Jones and Glenn Powell. Um, okay. Which, uh, sign me up. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Powell head over here. Uh, Anthony Ramos. Um, and then Kiernan Shipka, at least according to Letterboxd, is uh, um, about ninth billing. So okay. she might be a, a part of the crew. And uh, yeah, so I, and then Leah is like Chung directing, uh, director of Minari interesting pairing but yeah anyway yeah. so I, I wonder if this might be a launching point for her because she's kind of been karen and shipka has been in a lot of movies it seems nothing nothing huge up to this point but uh, maybe she's breaking out a, a little bit and i wonder if this is going to catch on yeah it seems it seems like it and she's she's definitely got some a presence um and and so the director of totally killer um i'm gonna butcher her name it na nachka khan I actually directed uh, the the Netflix rom com Always Be My Maybe, um, oh, nice. that came out a, f- a few years ago, um, which is a totally you know just totally pleasant rom com. Um, again, not the most original movie you'll ever see, but it's a good mm-hmm. time. So it's kind of funny that she went from Netflix rom com to um, kind of slasher horror slasher. Um, so yeah, that's that's totally killer. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, and yeah, good, worth a watch if you're a, if you're a slasher fan. So, does Keanu um, make a very awesome and memorable appearance in this? Like, uh, like he doesn't always be my maybe. If he did, I would definitely not spoil it. But unfortunately, he okay. does not. Um, Damn it! I, I really wish he he that would have been an incredible move by her to, to bring him <laughs> back in in this movie just randomly. For sure, um, he's so good and always be my maybe. He's incredible. Um, okay, so those are our two uh, new new movie reviews. So let's go ahead and uh, get into the to the meat of the conversation here, our horror movie swap. So um, basically, what we're going to do here is I'm going to introduce my movie first. We'll kind of talk about why we picked it, and then uh, maybe a little bit of non spoiler discussion. Then we'll go into Billy's movie, same thing, non spoiler discussion, and then kind of we'll save probably about ten to fifteen minutes at the end for where we can dive in on you know spoilers for both of these movies. Um, and kind of go through some of our thoughts and reactions to, uh, to them in a spoiler sense. So, um, yeah, so Billy, you sent me a list of movies, um, most of which I had not seen. And I, I ended up actually, uh, this one was a late edition that you threw in at the last mm-hmm. minute. Cause I think you were, you hadn't immediately thought of it, but, uh, the movie that we're talking about is audition which is a 1999 um, Japanese horror film. Um, and why, why did this one come to mind for you uh, when you were thinking of movies for me to watch? Well, I was trying to recreate our experience watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this movie's not anything like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, I think for me and you, when we first saw that movie, um, actual disturbance uh, played... Okay. Uh, You're just trying to mess me up. Yeah, super, super hard into <laughs> both of our viewing experiences of that movie. And uh, Audition did the, a similar thing to me. Um, my relationship to this movie, uh, first and foremost, was when Bravo would create their top 100 list um, and create like a seven-part TV program around it. And uh, one of which was Audition was like number nine like and they made those things in like 2005 this is Bravo, or 2006 the, so the, the cable the channel television network yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and then shutter did shutter did an updated uh, they kind of revamped the series when uh shutter okay uh, uh, updated the list and uh audition was number 9 and i remember just being 15 16 seeing the imagery from this movie um uh growing up in a small house there's no way that i could have watched this movie sneakily uh, without my mom walking in and being worried that um, her son was going down a dark path. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I, I waited until a, a, a few years ago. I think I just forgot about it and then uh, saw a, the pretty iconic poster uh, and, and decided to throw it on. And I think it was on Shutter. 
Um, so threw it on there and yeah, the, the, the billing of it being uh, disturbing uh, was, was certainly met. So, yeah. um, and, and, and also I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was, it was fascinating and um, it's style, the performances um, yeah, really, yeah, gnarly or not really kind of calm beginning and culminating in a really crazy mm -hmm. conclusion. So I, I'll let you uh, go back into your um, experience with it. Yeah, so just a just a brief plot uh, synopsis for anyone who who hasn't seen it. You know, we're not going to spoil it right now. That'll come later. But uh, audition is uh, directed by a Japanese director named Takashi Miike. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but basically, the the movie's about this widower who uh, lost his, his wife to an illness. Um, he has a son, and basically the the movie takes place several years after she's died, but. Um, Basically, uh, the widower, whose name is uh, Shigiharu Ayama, I'll probably just call him the widower for this discussion because I don't <laughs> want to keep butchering his name, but um, he's, he stages a phony audition to meet a potential new wife, basically. And uh, his son basically was like, I, w I want you to get back out there. I want you to find someone. You know, it's been long enough since mom's been gone. So he's trying to find a new romantic partner. He, he Him and his friend cook up this scheme his, his friend's a film producer. So they're going to bring in these women for an audition. These, these would, you know, want to be actresses. And, uh, you know, basically he'll tell them, sorry, the movie's, the movie's not happening, but uh, would you like to go on a date with me? Um, so pretty pathetic, but, um, that that's basically the plan. And so he interviews several women. Um, but he becomes really interested in one and really only one, um, named Asami. And, uh, she's not, who she first appears to be, uh, obviously. So I, I want to stop short of going too much deeper into the plot because I want to save a, a lot of, you know, I think I kind of, I didn't have this movie spoiled for me, but I kind of had a, a sense of where it's going based on uh, images I've seen from the movie, a little bit mm -hmm. of the dis vague discussion that I'd heard around it. So I want to stop there. We can get into more like a, what happens in the spoiler, spoiler part of the discussion, but Basically, this is one of the one of the big J horror um, imports that uh, that American audiences really latched onto, uh, including you know The Ring and The Grudge, and you know a lot more that that came probably you know I think '90s early 2000s was probably you know when they were were most popular. But um, I guess. I actually was realizing when I was watching after I watched this that I think this is one of the few J horror movies I've actually seen. Uh, mm -hmm. I know about the Ring and the Grudge, but I, I actually have never seen those. Um, so I, it actually kind of got me thinking I would like to kind of dive into some of those earlier Japanese horror movies. But what what's your relationship with with J horror? Are you are you into this genre subgenre? Um, I haven't gotten too into the genre itself um this being a movie that i saw i think i, I think i've only seen the like american version of uh the ring and okay uh, gr the grudge the, gr the grudge grudge um yeah but anyway it's uh yeah so this, this is really my only um true exposure to the genre and I'm not quite sure where to go from here because um, I think other ones may have more traditional scares in them. Um, but this one, I, I can't imagine a scenario where this goes to the limits that this pushes you to um, mm. brings, it, it brings out, I think really internalized fears that a lot of us have um, uh, uh, about our bodies and, uh, the limits that I can be taken to in the worst possible scenarios. And um, it's a, uh, yeah, I don't think this is a spoiler, but, um, it, and you can edit it out in post, but just um, a lot of a uh, twist and turns and torture and um, goes, goes to lengths that I find really fascinating as why it's tantalizing for someone like me to watch and how a director even convinces people to put themselves with those things on set. And obviously they're not actually, right being tortured, but I'm just so fascinated by, um, yeah, the, like the inspiration of the imagery and, uh, where, uh, Takashi Miike, uh, kind of started honing in his skill. Cause I think the only one other one of his movies I had heard of was, um, 
Oh, I just had it up. Oh, Itchy the Killer. I don't know if you've heard of that one before. Um, but by, from what I understand, that might be a little bit more action uh, horror, okay. if, if it's if it's even horror at all. So um, it, it seems like he's pretty, um, yeah, I, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but uh, loves to show the human body being uh <laughs> Put through, put through the ringer. Yeah, we'll say, to say the least. Um, you should look up on Letterbox as we're talking about it for Itchy the Killer. Just the, the, the cover photo of it as you're like, holy shit, this oh, is. No. I mean, we must be insane. It, it's a uh, much more uh, obvious in its in its messaging a little bit, not at messaging, but in its uh, in its goal and uh, oh, imagery. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. If you want to look that up at home, feel free to. Yeah, uh, feel free. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot from of dead what bodies. I understand about but, uh, Mike yeah. is. Mm-hmm. I think he's, I think he's like a super prolific, like director, like Japanese director who's made a lot of different movies, but mm-hmm. I, this is the only movie I've seen from him, but uh, I think it seems like he loves to uh, play at the extremes of the human experience and, uh, mm-hmm. and be a little bit of a provocateur. And, but what's interesting about audition is it seems a little bit different from his other movies in that it's, it's very slow at the start and it's kind of like a, almost like a melodrama, um, you know, this, this widow has lost his wife and he's trying to move on and, and it's like, he's trying to find love. Um, so it's kind of almost melodrama at the start. And then it's also kind of like, like a romantic comedy setup almost like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the, you said it's been a year or two since you've seen it, but the, the, the actual audition scene where they're auditioning all these actresses is played so light with the music. And it's like a montage of all these women coming in but they're asking them really like kind of messed up questions, like sexual questions and like things that like, if you're doing this audition, you would be like, why do you need to know this for this part? Like this makes mm-hmm. no sense. But, um, but, but it's, it's the tone is like pretty light. It's like a romantic comedy tone. And like, this is honestly kind of a, would be like a weird romantic comedy setup. Like guy tries to find woman by setting up an audition and then having this whole facade and then they fall in love. But this whole thing, like this kind of tonal setup, I think is, is Mike laying out the rug that he's about to pull out from under us. I think that's, I think that's what he's doing because I was watching this movie. Like I had heard this movie's pretty messed up, so I don't really know what's going on here, but then you get to the end and you think you realize, Oh, okay. He was just laying the groundwork for, for what he was going to do to us <laughs> at the end of this movie. Um, right. But yeah, I, there's a lot of very striking and horrific images. I think he he does a pretty excellent job kind of um, setting the movie up and then following through in the final act. Um, but would you call this, without trying to, without spoiling it, maybe this is a better discussion for the spoilers, but would you call this torture porn? Because Saw and, you know, that kind of genre sprung up in the couple of years after Audition came out. And I wouldn't necessarily lump it in with the saws of the world, but there is a no, little bit of, of common DNA. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to just, um, it just cause of the negative connotation that torture porn can maybe uh, be attributed to. And it did mm-hmm. have its moment where it, it became a legitimate horror genre at some point, but I think, uh, eventually jumped the shark. Um, but I would say it's a little bit different mainly because of the way it is set up the the way you just described it 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 has elements of uh um comedy and uh tension building Mm -hmm. that is completely outside of the torture porn general torture porn setup that i think of um and obviously once it gets to a similar place as maybe some other examples that you can think of um yeah it has some commonality but i think it's uh uniqueness and how it sets up those scenarios is um, much more mind bending and uh, internalized fear based than just mm-hmm. uh, creating like pure bloody horror right. that a lot of the bad torture porn movies go Yeah, for. I agree. So, Th- this feels more like character focused mm-hmm. and like pretty deliberate and it's like and it's um, execution of, of those elements. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really fascinating, like picture of Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've never been to Japan. I have no idea, you know, <laughs> it's probably not a very 
the most accurate, but, but it, it, I think it is kind of trying to say something about how Japanese culture and, and many cultures view and objectify women and, right. and how, how the tables could be turned. Um, and, and that's kind of where a lot of the horror comes from, uh, mm-hmm. is like, what if the tables were turned? Um, but, but at the same time, I think there's like a lot of emotional, like depth to the, to the performances and the movie. It's not just a, a genre exercise. It's like, there's right. actually a lot of depth here. It's, it's a lot about loneliness and, and I think specifically loneliness and, and Japanese society, they're like one of the characters in the movie says everyone in Japan is lonely. Aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the widower is looking for you know, companionship, you know, as he starts to age, but he's kind of exploiting these women, not kind of, he is exploiting these women in the audition to try to, to try to get one to, to go on a date with him. And then uh, Asami, who the woman that he's interested, most interested in is looking for just someone to love. You know, I think someone who's going to love only her and, and not leave her. Uh, but she, she may be a psychopath. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I, I was, I was pretty impressed with this movie. I I didn't really know what to expect, but I would say I I thought it was pretty, pretty great. Um, I don't, I don't know if if you, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I was, I wasn't trying to hide my, my feelings about the movie. I, I came away, Mm -hmm. like, I think, I think I was watching it thinking this is kind of slow. I don't really know you know, what, what we're spending a lot of time in these different parts of the story. And then, it, and I think once it ended and I was reflecting on it, I was like, that was actually a really effective movie. Yeah. That's kind of where I landed. Um, yeah. The, the, a lot of the things that you brought up were really interesting. Just another one to add to it, just how easy it is to exploit vulnerabilities. Um, mm-hmm. First starting off with the, uh, the widower and then Asami, flipping it on him kind of uh seemingly uh, uh what i was about to say was might have been a spoiler um but yeah so i i think those things resonate true and definitely potentially a japanese culture and then just just world worldwide love that you you focus on and you hope to find and you you put your trust in somebody and um, mm-hmm. this is the most extreme version of how it can be exploited mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I came away really liking this movie and another one of those movies that um, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I brought up in the beginning where it's like, I used to be afraid to recommend movies like this because of the image that it might put on myself. But ultimately, <laughs> if you, I'm not just going to recommend this to any casual horror fan, but um, I think if you are looking to expand your horizon on world cinema and uh see the depths of what a genre movie can can take you both emotionally and physically and uh in the torture horror realm but uh, i yeah i i really enjoyed the experience overall and i'm, I'm sad i couldn't rewatch it before we talked about it but yeah it, to go back to why i recommended it um i i, I thought you might have landed where you it seems like you did land which i'm, I'm very happy about it wasn't just a sadistic right by me to uh <laughs> to pull you into a, a horrifying scenario <laughs> I was worried that you were trying to do that to me. Um, <laughs> you you were the Asami to my uh, to my oh, uh, main character. Uh, um, that's, that's a great. We have a great relationship going on. <laughs> that's how this podcast thrives. That's right. If I remember right, that's kind of how the podcast meeting started. You're like, "Hey, Billy, I have this really yeah. good idea for a podcast." Or for I think I auditioned you, uh, you as, auditioned as co-host, like, hey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you have you written anything before? <laughs> uh, have you talked on on mic and? Uh, <laughs> Um, and I, I came through, so the, the journey is still ahead, my friends. Mm-hmm. So we'll yeah. see what we'll see what what lays yeah what, what lays ahead. <laughs> uh, so that's audition, um, and and we'll get to some spoilers here in a minute. But uh, let's chat about uh, your your pick for the horror movie swap. Uh, which movie did I select for you, Billy? Um, you selected well. You gave me an option of five or so movies, and I went with Sinister. The Ethan Hawke led horror movie with Scott Derrickson an up and coming director at the time um, who is of Dr. Strange fame uh, more so than anything else and uh, kind of eventually becoming a uh, uh, he's kind of going back into well not kind of he's I hope he's past his big budget movie making because after watching um, uh, Sinister I, I was really impressed by his 
um, abilities to just create really unique scares and uh, how to elongate a tone throughout the entire runtime of a, a movie. Um, yeah, so the just to set the stage of what the movie's about, the movie stars Ethan Hawke. Um, he is a true crime novelist, um, and they are moving to a uh, a, a new house. Um, he's uh, was an famed author about ten years ago by a book called Kentucky Blood. Um, he 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 seeks out real cases that um, ended in mystery that weren't solved, and he he kind of claims that he's trying to find justice in the situation while also creating a uh, um, very tantalizing true crime thriller um, mm -hmm. book, but it's all uh, it, it's all based on real life, and he's trying to find some truth. So um, this kind of comes into a point where he brings his family um, to this new house, um, and you're 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 seeing him at a point where he's trying to find his new hit. Um, maybe before he had more humble ambitions, but now he he misses the fame, and he's putting himself and his family in in some very strange supernatural situations. Um, so yeah, it, I really enjoyed this, especially um, I would say the first hour, hour and 10 minutes. Um, yeah, like I said, Scott Derrickson, he did such a good job from the opening, literally the opening frame and the opening. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this isn't a found footage genre, but there's a lot of found footage elements to it Yep, um, from tapes that Ethan Hawke finds that uh, his name is Ellison. And you, 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 you open up, I, I think I'll save the actual description of the scene until uh, spoilers, even though it is the first scene um, you, you, you just see an image on screen that it just lingers on and you, you see it play out. And then the, the title comes on screen and you're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm fully in at this point. And <laughs> if this movie has one thing going for it is it knows exactly how to uh, hook an audience. And I think that's why it's kind of had a lasting legacy of 2010 tour. Um, it, it, it's a little bit uneven at certain parts. Um, I think uh, where I, I, I differ from, not differ, but where I lost it a little bit was it, it, bring, it really attempts, attempts to um, create emotional attachment to every single character that it brings on screen. And uh, Juliet Rylance is uh, Ethan Hawke's wife in this movie, Ellison's wife named Tracy. And uh, she kind of gets a, a, a thankless role, even though I think her performance is really good. Um, she understandably is um, kind of at her wit's end of being put into a scenario where her husband's uh, investigating these horrible crimes. Um, she's not quite sure if he's going to succeed again. Um, she kind of needs her chance to move on and protect her their children. And uh, when it would go into those areas, um, it slowed down the movie, but there's probably maybe only four of those scenes where the emotional um, crescendo of the relationship really blows up. So it really didn't take away from the movie all that much, but I was just thinking like, all right, could, could maybe Ellison have been a bachelor, but maybe you get um, not rear window. Um, what's the Johnny Depp movie that where he kind of secludes himself in a cabin and is an author. Um, but Depp. Yeah. It's a uh, not rear window. It's um, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up as I'm talking, but I feel like there's a lot of, archetypes of um single dudes that are writers that lock themselves away to be creative find a story and then maybe get spooked out in the process mm -hmm. um but I, so this married aspect uh, uh just kind of a normal family dude that has a lot of ambition i think uh brought an added element to it that um was needed to set itself apart but ultimately didn't fully land um and then this is kind of a weird thing to uh, compare it to, but because of the eight millimeter aspects of this movie, um, mm -hmm. you get a lot of really tactical, a tactical look at the technology. Um, this movie's set in modern day, so it's not him filming anything. He finds these eight millimeter tapes, and the way snuff um, films, Scott, yeah, yeah, snuff films, and the way Scott Derrickson shoots it um, really reminded me of the Fablemans last year. Um, oh. how, how Spielberg uh, used that obviously same technology and just a beautiful sequence of um, showing how uh, how beautiful it is to put those things together. And obviously in this scenario, um, it's it's not beautiful that he's putting these things back together, but he's trying to fix the missing parts of the footage to 
reveal a little bit more truth into what this, uh, how these uh, murders are um, coming together. So um, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And I wanted to pose the question before we get to um, potential spoilers. As I finished, I was thinking, are Mike Flanagan and Scott Derrickson uh, the most well-known pop horror movies directors going right now? And I, I kind of separate them from Ari Aster mm-hmm. Jordan and, Peele uh, and Jordan Peele, and Robert all Ayers, that, those guys. Right, yeah. they're they're they seem to be going for something different. But Scott Derrickson right. and uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, yeah, are going in a similar lane. And I think, yeah, which one do you prefer generally? Um, am I do do you think of anybody else that um, could be in that same conversation? Well, it, yeah, I think Derrickson, you know, with Sinister and the Black Phone which came out a couple years ago also with Ethan Hawke. Oh, and he also directed Exorcism of Emily Rose uh, yeah, way dude, back in I 2005. It. I didn't realize that. Um, I, I saw that at a youth group camp. They showed it to the whoa. whole youth group. Yeah. Uh, whoa. They tried That's to turn it into like a conversation about uh, paranormal, like trying to make it deep. Yeah, evil um, spirits. And... Evil spirits and stuff. But uh, wow. no, it just, it just scarred an entire group of 14 to 18-year-olds. So um, anyways... Yeah. Back to Scott Derrickson. Yeah. So he's kind of a more of a, a Blumhouse guy. Um, if, yeah. if we're just thinking of, you know, uh, studios and um, so he he's kind of built this, you know, he's also dabbled in Marvel, too, um, with, mm-hmm. with Doctor Strange. But um, between yeah, between the three horror movies of his that I've seen, Exorcism, Emily Rose, Sinister, Black Phone, um, I don't know. I think, I think Mike Flanagan, uh, who's, who you know, he's made a lot for Netflix and, and uh, has made a lot of different types of movies. I think, I think he's probably got a little bit more variety and it's probably got um, a little bit more skill. I mean, he comes out with a new Flanagan comes out with a new Netflix horror show, like series every year now, right. which is pretty amazing. He's just churning them out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think I'm trying to think of other like mainstream studio horror directors who are like in that same group, and I, I think those two guys have got to be two of the first mentioned. If if you're not talking about the more maybe artistic minded, you know, Peel, and that's not to denigrate, you know, what what Derrickson and Flanagan are no. doing, but but they're mm-hmm. they're going for something different than what Ari Aster and Jordan Peel are going for. It was pick sinister because. Or, or I offered up Sinister for you because it legitimately is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week on the podcast, we talked about, uh, we did our top three scariest movies. Um, and I, I did consider putting Sinister on there uh, in my top three. I think, I think the snuff film aspect of it is like mm-hmm. extremely upsetting to me. Um, and I, it's so effective in the movie. And like you said, like the way he shoots it, to make it look so authentic is, is really unsettling. And then the ending, which we'll get to in a minute is, is just so incredibly dark. And I, I, I didn't think, you know, this being kind of a, you know, somewhat mainstream horror movie, I, I didn't think it would go to the, the depths that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you saw this, there was a study um, a few years ago that claimed that Sinister is the scariest movie ever made. Um, hmm. which I don't think is is probably not uh, I, I have no idea what the, the apparently this this study just based on uh, based on an analysis of of the audience's heart rates said sinister was the scariest ever. I don't know you know who, who knows how uh, scientific that is but it, it's a it's a legit scary movie. Um, it's it really freaked me out and I haven't stopped thinking about it. Um, so yeah the, before we get into spoilers, did you have any other last uh, sinister thoughts? No, the the snuff. I totally agree. The snuff film aspect added a huge layer to how scary it was, and it it, it rode that line of where you're screaming at the, your television. Like sometimes, if you're screaming at a horror movie, it's because the characters are so stupid that they're being unrealistic, and you're kind of being mad at how uh, dumb the movie is. But in this, I was yelling at the screen because the way Derrickson just set up everything, I was like, "Turn off the snuff film. Stop editing." Mm. To find more in these in these tapes and then also why are you walking around in your house without turning on any lights on at any point like you yeah. think uh, at, at some point you just be like oh yeah I'll no, flip this on and just get rid of the scares but it just 
Derrickson set the tone so consistently for, like I said, up top about an hour straight where mm-hmm. I was legitimately horrified. And uh, uh, we'll go to some of the choices about the end. Uh, I think that's a good transition into our. Uh, yeah. Into yeah. Let's go ahead spoiler and talks. go to the spoiler discussion. Now, do you want to keep going with sinister and then go back to audition since we're yeah, kind of already it. on the sinister train, train of thought. All right. Spoilers yeah. for sinister and audition going forward from here. Yeah. So this would be a good, I'm trying to think of the best way to talk about it because I wanted to, it's not really a spoiler of casting, but Vincent D'Onofrio is in this movie in a very limited capacity, uh, providing a lot of exposition of the background of this, uh, this essence that this, I don't even know how you describe the creature that shows up in these movies. Yeah. Um, really He's like brilliant. a Babylonian God, right? Right. A Babylonian God that um, a, they kind of frame it that the Christian church has uh, destroyed all evidence that this was a pagan religion um, uh, because of how much they feared it and how much it was. Um, but yeah, anyway, it, he provides a lot of exposition. So one, I, I wanted more Vincent to not for you. I think he's one of our most underrated hmm. actors working. And then two, did we need the kids that, that made it a lot less scary when it less scary, less scary, not so much like the ending itself where, the uh, daughter again, spoilers uh, gets possessed <laughs> and kills the whole family. That's obviously very depraved, very dark. And uh, uh, Drew, I'm sorry you're having another another kid, man. That uh, <laughs> don't don't watch Sinister again. That's but weird thoughts in the head. Don't Ethan drink Hawk any, has, has two don't kids. Don't drink anything. I'm, that, I'm about to that, have two kids too. Exactly. <laughs> don't drink anything your kids hand you from here on out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so some of the imagery choices. One I thought really worked. It's about um, 20 minutes before the ending, 30 minutes before the ending, before they leave the house that you find out. This is also a spoiler. But you don't find out. The wife finds out eventually that they move into the house that the main the murder that brought them to the house yeah. happened in or happened outside of. Um, and there's a, a, a pretty creepy sequence where like the kids – that I don't think you're quite sure if they're the missing kids or if they're the murdered one of the murdered kids from each of the families that they're kind of running around in slow motion behind them. And then as soon as Ethan Hawk is about to turn around to see him, they cut around the corner or something like that. Mm-hmm. I thought I didn't think that was so much scary, but I thought really interesting visually. Um, but then um, at the end when uh, uh, officer so-and-so, which is how it comes up on Ethan Hawk's phone, uh, when this officer he creates a somewhat friendship with uh, calls to reveal the connection um, that every uh, murder, every family that was murdered lived in the previous house. Right. That the murder happened in. So yeah. a family moved from Sacra- Sacramento to LA. The family like that follows this Babylonian follows God, them. follows yeah, yeah. them, follows yeah. them. Then they would get murdered in LA and then, a new family would move into the LA house and then they move to St. Louis and then they get murdered in St. Louis. So uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but Ethan Hawke cuts the snuff films together with missing. Oh, I, this is also hilarious. When it, it goes back out to the attic and it says extended cuts or it says extended film. Mm-hmm. I was like, really Scott made this movie, the extended <laughs> cuts. <laughs> really Scott's behind all of this. That's how that would have been my twist is that uh, yeah. really Scott actually directed this movie. Um, but yeah. And then they revealed that the kids were the murderers in every single one of these and like them turning the camera and putting their finger over the mouth, like saying shush. I just yeah. felt was a little bit too silly for what the entire movie was setting up. That felt so visceral and, uh, I think I agree. Mysterious. Yeah. Just, because, it, because the, the tone is so, um, it's so well set up throughout the whole movie, but then, yeah, there's, there's these moments where it feels like there's a couple, I think why this movie is so scary is that there's like, there's jump scares, but there's also like just a really messed up ending. Um, mm-hmm. but some of the jump scares maybe feel a little cheaper than this, than this movie. It feels like this movie is above some of the, jump scares and so like some of you said some of the imagery of the the children like creepily you know doing the shush um right uh expression and you know so yeah i I think i agree some of that maybe undercut a little bit of the 
um, what, what had been set up before. Um, but yeah, it's funny. You were talking about like, um, you know, horror movie characters doing stupid stuff and like, actually, I mean, yes, the, the Ethan Hawke character is obviously, you know, he's, he's way too desperate about his career. He, he wants to be famous, famous novelist again. And that's ends up being his, his downfall, but he actually does end up moving his family out of the house which is like right. you're watching and you're I thinking, mean, okay, okay, good. They're actually doing something smart. They're leaving. But <laughs> right. unfortunately, uh, this thing keeps following them, uh, which he doesn't mm-hmm. realize until it's too late. Right. Yeah, no, that it was, that really was a good subversion of a horror trope that you've seen in everything where you're screaming at, get out of the house, get out. And then right. he actually does leave and obviously they all get murdered. <laughs> uh, but the, the ending kind of reminded me as I was watching it, not exactly – uh, like I didn't feel throughout most of the runtime that this was a Park Chan Wook movie, but you know how his a lot of his movies ends in this very big sweeping revelation that mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's all setting up for something. I wonder if Sinister had that type of. Um, I wonder what was inspiring this movie because I feel like that's what they were going for. Where it was like, oh, this was happening all along, and then if you do that correctly, it really sends the audience home on a right. Um, uh, a really large high note and just this one didn't quite land for me, but I think it was going for a similar type of huge revelation that I don't know if it was because like Vincent D'Onofrio um, was just on a, a, a FaceTime type thing. And another revelation happened over the phone. It mm-hmm. just, the leaving aspect was cool, but then too much of the revelation happens in not so creative ways that, I thought could have been handled better. Like I thought Vincent D'Onofrio was going to die in like a really gnarly oh, yeah. way the entire time, just because when he feels like a type of actor that would be perfect for, he's big yeah. enough to where you wouldn't be fully expecting it, but he so he's really just, is on, just there. He's on FaceTime or Skype the whole movie. Yeah. And, and like whatever you would see the face happen in the background or something. Oh like that yeah. He, oh yeah. That, that actually was like something they seem like they're laying the, the seeds for, but they didn't actually do. Um, exactly. yeah, I, I think I agree that some of the writing, maybe some of the dialogue could have been a little bit better, a little bit more original. Um, mm-hmm. but I think the, so you're, you're, you're kind of landing on the first hour and change really worked for you. And then the last like 45, 40 ish minutes maybe didn't weren't as high. Right. And I think, yeah, the, the first hour or so it really is masterful horror filmmaking. Um, some of the scarier, sequences that I've seen in a while um, and was legitimately scared. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, it was like no joke at points would turn on my flashlight. Like I, from my couch, I can see straight into my kitchen and that goes downstairs into my backyard. And I would like turn it on at certain points. Just be like, all right, make sure there's nothing over there. Yeah. And then I'll turn it off and I get hooked for about 30 more minutes, turn it back on. I'm like, all right, cool. So no joke. I did that a few times. So oh, I, I was, I've done that before for sure. Yeah. I was legit scared. So he yeah. did a, uh, a really great job. And I'm really hoping that Scott Derrickson isn't tempted to uh, go back into huge budget filmmaking. Cause I haven't seen black phone. Um, and it seems like it's a, it was a little bit bigger of a leap than uh, uh, in tone compared to sinister. Um, but this and exorcism of Emily Rose are some of the scarier 21st century movies for me. So um, black phone definitely I, is not nearly as scary. Um, although it does feature another very good Ethan Hawke performance. For right. sure. Um, but yeah, it's more of like a Stephen King um, vibe type movie than uh, than, you know, this ty- this sinister type movie. But right. it's, it's sorry. Go ahead. He and yeah, supposedly he did a horror short for uh, the new VHS that came out on Shutter. So I don't oh. know if you've ever seen any of those um, no, I movies haven't. before. Um, they're just I've only, I think I've only seen I might have seen the first two and this might be the third. I'm not quite sure. But it's kind of like those paranormal activity type movies but all horror shorts so anthology right. type things. they're all so found footage right yeah in a okay uh yeah they're all found footage and i think he did i know he did one of them so i'm uh, excited to see um how his turned out but uh, yeah it's funny that you say uh you were running with the, the screenwriters for sinister you know what they were you know watching or what they were hoping for i i, I read that the the derrickson's co-screenwriter on sinister Claimed he wrote it after he had a nightmare after watching The Ring. 
which is actually a perfect segue J-horror. to back to our back to audition uh, yeah. uh, since that's also a J horror movie. Um, so uh, any, any last thoughts on sinister before we do uh, spoilers for audition? Um, looking at my notes that I made. Um, no, yeah, let, let's move on. Okay. So back to audition. Um, you know, I think we, we kind of teased, you know, in the non-spoiler part of this discussion, uh, how uh, the last 30 minutes, um, things, the, the the vibe and the tone of this movie really ratchets up and turns into something uh, pretty unsettling. Um, basically, um, Billy, I, I really don't like needles at all. Um, whenever <laughs> I whenever I go to the doctor, whenever I get a shot, flu shot, whatever, I never look. I always, I always look away right before they jab the needle in my arm. Um, so watching Asami place needles uh, like acupuncture style one by one in his eyes, in his stomach, that was extremely upsetting, but really honestly it was, it was, it was a visual, but it was also the sound design, which I thought was like really excruciating and made me a little squeamy like towards mm-hmm. towards the end of that sequence like i was getting a little squeamy because of the sound design was so like so realistic um or what you think that something like this would sound like but um i i will say and and you know if you're still listening and haven't seen the movie uh, basically um the widower uh, in audition gets um you know kind of drawn into asami's trap she's basically um been she was a dancer when she was young and she was abused and, you know, sexually and, and physically abused. And um, basically she has turned the tables on her abusers and has drawn the, this guy into her trap and um, uh, tortures him and uh, ends up um, using razor wire to cut off his leg and yeah, more, that... more awful, awful things. Uh, I will say I, Sorry, go go ahead before I before I say this point. Um, your your thoughts on the last, the horrible last thirty yeah. minutes of this movie? I can't remember if I'm conflating with something else. There are two things that um, horrify me the most when it comes to like body horror, and this isn't quite quite body horror in the David Cronenberg sense, but it plays on your fears of how your your body can be messed with and certain injuries that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, does a needle go into his eye at one point? Does she do that? Yep. Yeah, like three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. So that's I'm not afraid of needles. Like I'm almost a little bit masochist, masochistic in that way. Whenever I have uh, had to have blood drawn, I watch it. Um, you sick so up. like it, yeah, I know <laughs> it just doesn't bother me. There has been ones where I was watching it and the person just missed three or four times. I was like, all right, I don't want to watch it that many times, but the, (laughs) the first time, like if they get it on the first time, just like generally just intrigued how they do it. Um, and then the razor. Oh, and then I I can't remember if there's anything that happens with fingernails in this. Uh, no, I I don't believe. Yeah. I didn't think so, but those are the two things that if I ever see anything with eyeballs on screen or, uh, or fingernails, fingernails oh, or just oh. yeah like uh, and uh like fingernail oh. i think of the fly when his body starts falling apart i don't know if you've seen the fly with jeff goldblum but uh when his body starts turning into a fly uh, there's some pretty gnarly uh and just very loosely taking off fingernails and toenails and stuff and it's truly disgusting um so those are the main things and then i think the most like horrifying sequence of the full torture is the razor wire that you brought up just mm. how long they draw it out. That seems way more painful, more painful and less uh, torturous. Like it obviously is a huge form of torture, but um, for whatever reason, part of me is like, if I were to be stuck with a bunch of needles, I think I could survive that. I would obviously be in a huge amount of pain if they stay away from my eyeballs. That is whereas obviously if you're getting a appendage. Uh, yeah cut off um there's no real uh, like muscling through that type of feeling no. I imagine. so um so that was really horrifying and i just yeah i, I will the say the way I, they g- get to this ending is yeah it's so quick when it when it flips yeah it, well because it's so patient and restrained leading up to it and then things really start heightening and then it gets pretty pretty bad um mm-hmm. i will say i wish i hadn't seen I wish I hadn't known anything. I wish I had gone in this movie completely blind, but no, you know, it being talked about so much by, you know, kind of American horror fans and um, 
people recommending it to, to each other, I think has created this almost like aura around the end of this movie where I had never seen it, but I had seen images of her with the needle, you know, facing the camera. And so I knew like something awful like that was going down in some sort of torture with, with needles or, um, or wire razor wire or whatever. But so I think it would have packed a little more power. Um, like, like this isn't the scariest movie I've ever seen, but it's certainly extremely disturbing and, and messed up and, in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, the final shots I thought were very memorable and very effective of, of them both mm-hmm. laying on the floor, looking at each other and you you kind of see her repeat the words that she had said to them on their first date, quote unquote date. Right. And I thought that was extremely effective and kind of brought it back to that character level instead of just trying to be a shocking ending. It was kind of brought it back to the relationship between the two characters. Um, I guess my my lingering thoughts kind of thinking through the ending. There's a lot of like dream sequences and a lot of like fake outs towards the end where the director Mike is kind of uh, going back on scenes that we, that we've already seen. And we're kind of for mm-hmm. a second, we're like, huh, is this a dream or did this happen? Or do, do you feel like, I know, I know it's been a while since you've seen it, but did you feel like everything that happened in that movie happened? Or do you think any of it was a dream? Where, where did you kind of fall on that? Do you remember? Um, I feel like if I remember right, I never really thought of any of it as being a dream necessarily. Um, the the different visual flashbacks or dreamlike sequences they pretty quickly if i'm right come back to what is the perceived reality um yeah. i think the only th- yeah. way it would be like a, a dream sequence if it was a zombie's dream of just like living out all of the um or uh, acting on all of the trauma and uh, abuse that she's felt and how she wants to um get back up all the people that have uh, done her wrong to put it mildly. Um, so yeah, no, I never really thought of it as a, uh, maybe it was a full dream sequence. I think uh, in movies like this, um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, us, if a critic, if there's like a, a critic out there, that's like, I think it's a dream. And if you're saying that's not meaning this to be rude, but I'm just like, I think you just don't want to, live with the reality of what this universe is, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, Oh, it had to be a dream, right? It's the only way that I could possibly get through this. If right. It was a dream. So, um, so yeah, no, I would say, um, the reality that it presents of what it always cuts back to is, yeah. uh, I, I would say reality. That's how I interpret. I interpret it as Mike kind of like trying to throw in a couple left turns to kind of like keep you off your, your balance and, try to like kind of do a couple of swerves there to kind of make you think, Oh, maybe this, maybe it's all in his head or maybe, you know, and then come back to, no, it's not, it's not all in his head. Like this is actually happening. Um, it's, it's his worst nightmare. Um, that's, that's all I got for, for audition. Any, any last thoughts, uh, before we wrap this up, Bill? No, I think I I like the structure of, uh, these type of swaps. Um, it's it's fun to be forced. I feel like we should to, do this again. Uh, yeah, for sure, in a different genre or maybe right. with, uh, yeah. If there's a big hole for one of us with the, uh, I think we're doing other things for Fincher and Scorsese, so we won't necessarily do it for them. But we, we all have holes with those type of guys too. So I think it'd be fun to we you could get really get creative with uh, the themes you put around it. So right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, this this was fun. Yeah, so we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um, to close out, uh, you know, this is the Deal Like Apples podcast. Please subscribe to our newsletter, long-running newsletter at this point, uh, mm-hmm. over four years, uh, deallikeapples.substack.com. There'll, there'll be a link in the show notes for this episode to go and subscribe there. We send out uh, movie recommendations uh, every Friday. Um, and uh, follow us on social media, Instagram and X at like underscore apples. Um, please, you know, we, we need your likes, your your rates, your reviews. Uh, subscribe on your, your podcast platform to, to this here pod. Thanks to Ryan Jenkins for the, the theme music, as always. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, upcoming um, podcasts and newsletters from Do You Like Apples, where we're 
it's uh you know we we did a fun little two-part you know horror um episode here uh with the last two weeks but we're going back to scorsese land so we we did our martin scorsese draft a few weeks ago next week we're talking about killers of the flower moon so catch it this weekend watch it soon we're going to be doing a full breakdown probably probably a little bit like we did today where we kind of have a a non-spoiler and then a spoiler part um so uh, catch up with killers of the flower moon we'll be we'll be talking about that on the pod um and uh yeah billy you, you teased uh, our david fincher discussion which is also to coming with a special mm-hmm. guest who will who will reveal later um that's coming in a couple weeks so it's it's scorsese season it's fincher season spooky season all in one um thank you guys for listening and thanks bill uh for joining it was a fun fun discussion yeah, it was a ton of fun. And release the Ridley Scott extended snuff films that are in Sinister. Oh, that's my fan. That's my fan theory. It was Ridley Scott horrifying. the whole time. <laughs> All right, bye guys. See ya. Do you like apples? Do you like apples?